evening, everyone. Um, I downloaded some new music, and I'm trying it out. I don't know how I feel about it. It's really cute and sweet, but I'm not sweet. So um, we'll see how that goes. I uh, welcome all of you to Thursday night. Uh, Yesterday, I spent most of yesterday thinking it was Tuesday. So I'm congratulating myself on remembering what the day is Thursday for the whole day. And um, at my age, that's that's, that's actually an excellent accomplishment. Um, Just a few reminders. Uh, Tomorrow, uh, for those of you who are going to make the first deadline um, for the Quantum Bang, that's tomorrow, March 15. Um, Tomorrow is also the last day to sign up for April Rough Trade. Um, We have, uh, on March 25th is your due date for submitting your project file for April Rough Trade. Um, we'll have art claims on the Quantum Bang um, starting on March 20th. Uh, that's when the post will go live, and then the actual art claims will take place on March 23rd and 24th, and emails will go out to the artists on the 24th. Um, Quantum Bang Alpha beta reader signups close on March 31st, and signups for the every fandom bang, every fandom reverse bang also close on March 31st. So that's that's all in our community calendar, but I'm just giving you guys a heads up for those of you who may not be paying attention to that. That list is also available on MeWe and our writing group. Um, it's currently the pinned post. Uh, where is, where is, where is, there she is. Um, Julie and I have been playing with these one-sentence prompts. We've done two so far, um, and people have been participating, too. Lady Holder's done one. I think Scarlet has done one. You can find them on the Rough Trade on the Rough Trade Forum. I've reorganized the Rough Trade Forum. I barely said that last one slowly. Don't ask me to say it fast. <laughs> <laughs> Lady Holder's done – yeah, so – what we've um what we're doing is that we had this I'm not sure what kind of idea to call it. Um we had this idea that we would take the same prompt and write it for November. So we've been testing that out. And yeah, so we'll see how it goes. We've done two Yeah, so we've done two prompts so far. And um, just to see, you know, where our brains would take us. And um, and by the way, our stories are not connected. <laughs> Those two in any way, they're they're not connected. Um, so because someone did get confused about the first one, about the first set, and thought that we were writing some kind of connected story, we're not. Yeah, the, the, like the point is we don't confer on this at all. We we each take the prompt and go and see where it takes us. And sometimes there are some very similar elements, and sometimes there are elements that are just wildly different. So, so we don't um, even know what fandom we're doing in November. So uh, we're just trying different things out. Although it probably won't be Harry Potter because she's off Harry Potter right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. That could change so, by November, but it but, could change. Yeah, you never know. 
Anyway, I'm doing the art, but my art name is Polaris. For those of, am I saying that right? For those of you mm-hmm. who um, are curious as to where Polaris came from, that's me. Um, although I think if anybody really paid attention to it and kind of thought about what Polaris is, that you would totally assume it was me. Get it. Um, <laughs> if you don't get it, Google it. I'm, I'm not going to hold your hand. Um, anyways. Uh, <laughs> on to prompts. What's really been interesting in in the sprints is seeing people tackling the, the various prompts that we have available on Rough Trade, and I and I made a prompt gallery for our um, our visual prompts. Uh, and for those of you who aren't inspired by visual prompts, what I would suggest that you do is look at the visual prompt and make a list of of words and themes that represent the prompt and then approach it from that angle. I was muted. Um, One of mine I definitely had to take from the um, angle of um, making a list of words because I was just – my original idea that was sort of visually inspired wasn't working for me, so – but other ones, especially the, char- the, the the prompts that have a character in them, those are really easy for me to just do as is. But some of the ones that are a little bit more abstract. I definitely need to do that word thing. That same kind of do some assist- Yeah, I mean, when I was very young, I was an avid reader of Rogers Digest. And for those of you, if you're if you're um, a new writer, I should still recommend it. It's, it's a very good magazine to get. Um, sometimes I'll pick a copy up at the bookstore. Um, well, I, I should look and see if they have digital copies. I mean, because surely. There's something really awesome about getting your Rogers Digest in the mail. Anyways, when I was young, I was an avid Rogers Digest. And they used to have these um, things, these writing exercises in them, where you would look at pictures and do a short story around a picture. And I had a really hard time with that until I started assigning themes the picture like loneliness or mystery or you know I was just putting emotions down ahead of writing and then I was able to do it so to the point where I do it instinctually now with um with visual prompts but that's how I did it when I was very young And and I think, well, I, part of one of the reasons why we want to try the more specific prompts is because whether it's visual or um, working with a word, because I tend to, like, like she's saying, I tend to distill um, the pictures down to a word or a set of themes. Um, that's very different than writing from something that's even just a sentence prompt. Because our first um, our first prompt Tony talking to Steve just one more time to talk to Steve just one more time out of going to work for Shield. That sets a very specific timeline for the prompt, um, and it sounds really broad when you first hear it. But then when you start thinking about it, you're like, well, hmm, that really narrow. It's actually a more narrow prompt than you might think it is at, at first blush. So it, it has to take place after the Avengers. It has right? to take and place before. Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. It really almost has to take place like immediately following the Avengers. Yeah. 
which puts Before a lot Steve's of stuff. Before ever kind of sucked into his shield. mind completely. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it actually narrows your focus a lot in one sentence. And if you can narrow your focus that much with one sentence, can you imagine how much you can narrow your focus with one paragraph? So it's very different writing from a word like cave or wet or rain compared to writing a single sentence that's specific. So we're we're doing these trial runs. I think it's a really good exercise if you're used to writing with much more general prompts to try something specific. If If you're used to writing with very specific prompts, the way to challenge yourself would be the opposite, to go with a much more general prompt and see what happens. I you know and getting all the elements in um, for the single sentence prompt can be kind of especially in the word count uh, because with the second prompt it was John's thinking about retiring to earth to um, and going back or to earth and um, Rodney's not happy about that uh, it's very broad but then it's not because you only got five thousand words to tell it and. Mm-hmm. You have to explore why Rodney is really upset about the idea of retiring and why John wants to retire or resign or whatever he's got going on in his brain that he wants to leave the Stargate program. So it's it's about what John's wanting versus what Rodney's wanting and how you can fix that. And so that's not... It kind of it kind of made me think about it a little bit because here's the thing: if John really, really, really wants to retire, who is McKay to say he can't? Right. So for me, I had to approach it from the angle is that John really didn't want to retire, but he's just not happy, and he doesn't want to watch Rodney have this relationship with that with that stupid girl, and you know, <laughs> <laughs> and it's his birthday. Yeah. And, and, and he got a good cupcake, and he's just not, you know. So for me, that's how I approached it, you know, because I'm like, he's a, he's a, he's an adult, Rodney. If he wants to retire, he can, <laughs> he can. And Kira, I think if this thing, I approached it from John, kind of was feeling like he might have to retire, and that Rodney yeah. was going to. Um, but Kira was a lot more relationship focused, where they were working their shit out. And they were having a negotiation and like a fully mature adult discussion about what was going on with John and, and why he, I love the dynamic about Rodney finding out about how everybody felt about Keller. I thought that was great. And um, (laughs) that's really how I feel about Keller, but yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm very good at projecting. (laughs) Like Ronan thinks she's an asshole. Ronan wouldn't say that. Well, um, Whereas I was taking it more from the perspective of that Rodney finds out that John feels like he's being forced into a corner and decides that he's done playing nice and he's going to, um, because John is a lot more constrained by his role in the military than Rodney is as a civilian. And I wanted to give like Rodney the opportunity. And I don't write from Rodney's point of view very often, but I really felt really strongly on this prompt from his point of view. Um, so that's why I decided to write it the way I did. And I wanted Rodney to um, sort of flex his, you know, um, influence muscles that he doesn't use very often uh, to try to get some changes made. And it, it's, it's really interesting because I did John's POV quite naturally. He just kind of 
and I do spend a lot of time in the case point of view normally. So, and okay, I usually am more comfortable writing John. So it was a little bit, but I just like this one really needed McKay's point of view. It was sort of pointless to write it in John's point of view. Um, I did well, have so a little Easter egg in mind for those of you who read Lady Holder, and you should be over there reading her, like not during the podcast, but like immediately thereafter if you haven't. Um, <laughs> there's um, there's a little Easter egg in my in my story that kind of connects to Lady Holder. It's very obscure, so if you've not read her series, which one is it, Lady Holder? Um, you might not catch it because it's not like I didn't throw it in your face. You have to catch it. <laughs> she's telling me in the ch- she's she's typing in the chat. Agent very far float. Thank you. It, uh, I didn't write it down. So I would forget it. Um, but I did. Um, so there's a little bitty, a little bitty Easter egg. And she is, in fact, a damn fine baker. So, but, um, yeah, so it was just a little thing. Well, I, well, I was like, I think she headcanoned me. I, I I think that I pretty much think that Chief Cooper is, in fact, in charge of the cafeteria, mess hall, whatever you want to call it, on Atlantis. I don't think I mean, it's just like she's always been there. And I just never mentioned her before. <laughs> mess. Thank you. The mess hall. Yeah, I agree. I think Cooper is running the show, even if we uh, <laughs> didn't know her by name. <laughs> and now we do. Yeah, I find it to be a really interesting experience to see how people take a specific prompt and um, the points of intersection and the points of departure. Uh, because I think the intersection points, um, sometimes, especially with some prompts, even with one sentence, you can, you can really narrow down your intersection. You're going to have a lot of intersection points. Um, like that first prompt. I don't think that we, I even realized how specific it was until we got to working on it. Um, and yeah. the more people who do it, the more I see intersection points. It's like, wow, that's that's. But but then it's like, well, yeah, of course you would have these things being similar because the prompt actually has a remarkably narrow focus. It's just a, it's a matter of how you would choose to interpret it. So, the the point and what you want to do with what, it, right? And that's one of the things we talked about on the podcast when we first talked about this was that sometimes you can give two people a very the same idea and they'll go radically different directions with it. And sometimes you can give five people the same idea and then four of them independently come up with almost the same thing. Um, because it's a matter of logical progression of events. Um, well, what you know, is, so, is if you're going to do the prompts, don't read ours first. Do yours and then read. Which you might not be able to do with the two prompts that are currently there, but in the future, and we and we will have more um, to just do yours first and then read ours because it, I think it's a really interesting thought experiment. Yeah, it is. It tells you a lot about, and you, if you haven't read anybody else's, you're certain you haven't been influenced by them. Um, so, but I I have you know because I've seen that case of where you give a prompt to some people, and four out of five will be very similar. And one will be remarkably different. And the one that's remarkably different, you kind of are scratching your head going, 
how did they get way over there? <laughs> because you have a very limited, a limited series of possible events people can work with. It's a matter of how they have the characters interact around those events. So that first prompt was very specific to pretty much right after the Avengers movie. And where you chose to set it, you know, the setting, the point of view, um, and how the discussion went um, was going to, it's going to change from person to person and how the characters interact and that kind of thing. But a lot of the, if you're using, if you're relying, leveraging canon, um, what we see in canon of the characters, there's going to be a lot of even the similar talking points because even in the even in the Avengers, Steve Rogers was pretty stubborn. He was pretty, he had a lot of preconceived notions he had to he had to let go of, and he kind of did in the Avengers, but then he picked them back up again. So. That all kind of sets the common framework with something that seems pretty broad that winds up being actually a lot more specific than you might think. So I just I find it really interesting to see how um, other different people interpret things, sometimes in exactly the same way I do and sometimes in a very different way. Now, we are mixing the divergent prompt in with this a little bit because we are doing in November where we are doing a, a, a divergent prompt um, in November. We're doing canon divergence. But it would be interesting to see some people approach this not from that angle but from a canon perspective to see, like, if that conversation actually did happen between the two of them and Tony and Steve ignored Tony's advice. Which in canon he, he would yeah. have if that conversation had happened. So you know, but we but we're approaching it from a canon divergence point of view, like I said. So, but you don't have to. So I was like, you just I was I was after I did it, I was like, come. I wonder what would have happened. Well, obviously, what happened is canon happened. <laughs> he said, <"Fuck."> yeah. <laughs> Damn canon. It just gets in the way. But um, yeah. So, but speaking of the MCU, I watched the extended trailer for the um, Endgame today. Interesting. I've kind of been avoiding it. I don't even know why. I would have to. My husband had to watch it. I have anxiety about Endgame. I'm not even sure what that's about. Not actually. Well, what we know. I'm afraid they're gonna. I'm afraid they're gonna kill Tony Stark. That's why I have anxiety. Now I've got anxiety because that didn't even cross my mind. I figured he'd just retire. Well, <laughs> that's been my worry. I keep telling myself I'm not going to do that. That he's kind of the linchpin of the of the MCU, and they need to not shut that door. But they've made like every time I think that they're not going to do something because it would be stupid, they do it anyway. So yeah, I've wor- I've got I've yeah. I think the Civil War arc was a really stupid idea. Yeah. Anyways, um, I don't know. My, my my biggest concern, I think, is that um, um, they're just going to make me hate characters more than I already do. They're going to make me hate characters that I don't currently hate. <laughs> yeah. So I'm actually, I, I th- I've seen every MCU movie in the theaters, I think, except for Ant-Man. Um, and Ant-Man and the Wasp, you know, that whole thing. Obviously. Um, because ants. And um, 
I'm I'm debating about if I'm going to see him, if I'm going to see Endgame in the theater. It's I don't. I'm just so. So you've seen Captain uh, Marvel already? I have not been. I have not seen it yet. No, but I will see it soon. Um, we were going to go this week, but uh, my mom's been sick, and we've been kind of like stuck here, making sure she's not going to need to go to the yeah. hospital. So, but yeah, we're going to see it soon. Um, but it's just. Part of it is that, I mean, they fucked up a lot in the franchise. And, um, but MCU has been a really big part of my fandom life. And I, I kind of worry they're going to fuck up things up so badly in the last movie that it's going to ruin fandom, the fandom for me. And <laughs> I know that's ridiculous. It's probably overreacting. But it's this, it's this irrational anxiety thing. Well, you know, for me, no. I, if I was going to have that happen to, for me, if I, if I was going to allow their decisions to impact my ability to enjoy the MCU and the MCU fandom, it would have happened with Civil War. Or honestly with the Winter Soldier. And it hasn't. So sure. It almost I have, did. I, thought- I have all the ability. If really, if I can delete the epilogue from my brain, there's nothing that Marvel could throw at me <laughs> that I can't actively ignore. <laughs> That's true. But I did take after Winter Soul. I mean, after Civil War, I was so upset about that that I um, I did take a big break, even reading from the MCU for a long time. So it it, it wouldn't ruin. I, you're right. It wouldn't ruin the fandom for me, but it could put me on a hiatus. <laughs> so there's that. Um, exactly, Rogue. Exactly. <laughs> I didn't see Civil yeah. War. I only I only read the summary on Wikipedia. I've seen about two-thirds of it now. Um, there's some sections I just can't watch. It's like it starts to play, and I fast forward. I'm like, no. Um, huh. so what I would say is that for, the, for these very specific prompts, we will be seeing the same things over and over and over again and the same plot points because of this how specific they are. So Don't be an asshole and accuse somebody of stealing your work. Yeah, yeah. The um the second prompt, the the Stargate prompt, is a lot less specific, but you could easily stumble over having come up with the exact same um concept as somebody else, and all you're going all that's going to differ is your implementation. Even though the prompt is much less specific than the first one. I mean, yeah, because they are. They are very specific, and it would be very easy for somebody to write a very, very similar story um, and pick up the same information that we all have. So, yeah, and the and the more a writer has a similar sensibility to you about what they like in stories, the more likely it is that their story is going to wind up a lot like yours. <laughs> um, which is fascinating. It's supposed to be fascinating, not infuriating. <laughs> Yes, I do find I do find it fascinating. Uh, so there was like one in the Stargate prompt. There was one um, like really similar. Um, 
element between mine and lady holders. But I, I did, I was, I, I had read Kira's before I did mine, but I'd already, I already had mine plotted because it was one of the rare times I plotted a short because I was just really busy the day we talked about this prompt and I couldn't sit down to write for like, but I actually, I actually got the idea for it right away. And um, she and I were talking and I said, you know, I've got mine set. I actually, it's going to take place on earth. It's going to take place between these two episodes. And I knew exactly how mine was going to go. Cause it just kind of, you know, I was doing something else. And all of a sudden I went, Oh, I got an idea. Um, and she said, well, do you want to read mine? Cause she finished, Kira finished hers first. I said, yeah, I'd love to read it. So, um, and I knew as soon as I read it, that we were taking a very different approach. So it didn't, it wasn't a concern. And then lady holder finished hers and um, I didn't read hers um, because it's interesting because I do think that a lot of times when it comes to approach on things, and one of the things I've noticed is Lady Holder and I have more of a similar sensibility about the approach on some stuff. And so I actually kind of was like, I'm going to put a hold off waiting, reading hers until I finish mine. So I, I read, I finished mine <laughs> and went on hers. And there was one definitely very similar thread that was very, very similar between ours. So, um, and that's where it comes in where, you know, if you've got writers around you who like similar tropes and have a similar sensibility to you, um, that you could, you could hit on the same exact approach or have one comp, one big element that's very similar. And that's, that's just, that's just part of the thing when you have a very, when you have a more, when you have a more specific prompt like this. I think that um, both we, you and Lady Holder approach a lot of stories from an external motivation point of view. Mm-hmm. Well, I tend to go towards more internal as my first shot. I agree. So, because I, I know that a lot of times in our approach to things and plots that I've noticed that she and I have a very similar sensibility or I have the thought when I'm reading her work, oh, that's exactly the way I would have done that. I'm weirdly more careful about reading a work that she and I are doing on the same prop because I don't want to be influenced by... Um, her, her, what she's written, um, you know, I, 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 I rather have the experience of seeing that end result and going, oh, wow, we have this same thread, but we really pulled on that thread very differently. So um, it was, it was interesting. Yeah, I in the first prompt in the MCU one, I did throw Dom um, into the into the mix, not Dom Rossi from the Stick Around verse, but just a, you know, and that was it was a little bit to get my head in in getting into the the headspace for April. Um, I was actually worried that I would have a hard time getting into the headspace for Stargate. Apparently not, no, because my actual no. finished story was almost 6K, and I had to I had to whittle it down to get it under 5K for the prompt. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably still be writing on that, actually, if I hadn't stopped myself. So, yeah. Yeah, you got right in there. 
And we have had in the Sprint channel, we have had, as Kira mentioned, we've had a lot of people doing um, – Yeah, um, we have had a lot of people doing um, prompts in the sprints um, when they're looking for something between projects. Or um, I have, I did a, I did a little like tally of stuff that I kind of like immediately, not immediately, but I, that I should get around to editing and setting aside this, you know, including the 60, 60K I just finished editing, I, it was over 350,000 words um, that's in my to-edit pile. Uh, that was a little daunting. So I have been using more of the sprint time than I expected to do edits. And I find that editing in sprints to be remarkably effective because if I actually take the breaks, um, I don't wear my eyes out so much so quickly i i get that mental break so that i spot my mistakes more readily because that's one of the dangers of editing for a long period of time is you stop seeing your own errors especially with if you have a common type of error like with me like dropping my articles um i stop seeing that after a while but if i take a break i start seeing it again. So I've kind of been going back and forth between editing and doing like a prompt, working on a prompt. Um, and, and that's been actually, it was actually a really interesting use of the sprint time was to sit and edit. And I, I, got, to, I got to the edit a lot faster than I thought I would because I really was just like, oh, I don't want to edit today. Um, <laughs> I never want to edit. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes I really am in that mood. It's like I'm in a very kind of fussy, anal, retentive mood, and that's a really good time for me to sit down and do some editing. Um, not necessarily a good time for me to write because I can micro-edit myself to death, even when I'm trying not to. Um, I judge my pro- – yeah, I do it by pages. I, I measure my progress by pages, and I get somewhere between 8 and 20 pages in a sprint – it's really widely variable. It depends wildly variable. So it depends upon a lot of factors. Like, am I just looking for errors, um, or do I did I need a minor rewrite? Did I need to think about something that was phrased? Did I not understand what the hell I wrote? That happened yesterday. Um, uh, I yeah, I didn't understand something I'd written. I'm like, what the fuck am I trying to say? <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Even when I looked at the context, I couldn't figure out what I was trying to convey. I, I was just like, well, it's clearly not adding anything. So I'll just take it out. But I spent like three or four minutes looking at this one thing going, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, but, yeah, usually I, I judge my um, progress by the number of pages I got done. So, And then I, I do make I myself take quantum, a break. I did my quantum bang, my, my last part of my betas. Um Julie's betas in Sprint, and it was very um, beneficial to Sprint environment because I, I I hate it, and it's not a reflection of my betas. It's just me. Neither one of them are assholes most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm but, I'm much less um, nice to Kira in a beta than I am to like anybody else, and it's not like I'm being mean, but I know that she's been through professional edits, so I don't feel like I have to, you know, soft soap her. Hold my hand. You know? 
I don't. I don't have to like explain something. I just, I just go. This is. I just change shit. (laughs) Now I don't expect her to always keep my changes, but um, I, I still just go do, just go through and go. Okay, I'm just gonna treat this like I was doing any other edit. I think it does Actually, play if, um, if you, uh, it, it is much more stressful to do a beta for someone you have to coddle than someone that you can just be frank with. Yes. And I also point well, out like things like hold his hand. I'll be like, this is awkward. Awkward. Dude, Really? Comma, <laughs> comma. <laughs> but if I'm in my riders group and I have some pains, yes, um, newbie rider, I have to hold her hand. Not only do I have to do all that beta work but or editing, um, but I have to be nice about it, too, which is just – I'm not saying I'm mean, but I'm just saying, you know, instead of saying, okay, this is awkward, I have to be like, okay, could you phrase this a little bit differently so it's a little more clear? <laughs> yeah, and like the first time I edited Shakira, um, because I think it, I think the only reason I did this is because I knew she had been through professional edits. Because normally I don't do this with um, fan fiction writers. Is I went through and highlighted a bunch of repetitions. <laughs> I didn't even explain. He myself. certainly did. And when I saw it, I laughed because my one of my pro editors does that shit to me too and I was like well shit now I have no escape from that <laughs> highlighter of doom <laughs> yeah it is highlighter of doom but most people I don't do that with without explaining going I've like I'll put you know like a comment like I've highlighted a couple of instances where a phrase or a word that's fairly distinctive is used too close together it can be jarring I would recommend you consider changing one that's work folks how do so, you say that she work. highlighted all this shit in my manuscript, and then, like, after I got it back, she sent me a message telling me what it was for. And I was like, dude, I know. Because <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> I huff the fuck out of stuff. I mean, I was surprised most of my characters don't have asthma. <laughs> I had to go through and do a little huff check to make sure I haven't used too many, too many huffs. Yeah, I I can get my characters can get a little bit huffy too, but not I, I I'm not quite. And it's as all J.D. Robb's fault. Yeah, I'm not quite as attached to the asthmatic stuff as Kara is. So, um, because we all do. Huffy, we all are kind of huffy. We're, we're a bunch of huffy bitches. <laughs> and I some characters I really do hear them being very huffy. So it kind of like Rodney and Styles and um, yeah, some characters that just strike me that way as too much. But yeah, it was like you know I did hear I'm not I'm not mean to her, but if there's like a lot of times no context for the changes I suggest, I just go through it, make the changes, send it back. And um, if she if she has a question about something, she'll you know, write me and say, you know, what about this or what are you trying to say or whatever. But usually that she's, I could send her, you know, a thousand corrections and sometimes she's, I mean, she's got that on the lock, right? She's got lots of experience with it. She will, she's happy to ignore the things she doesn't like and take the things she does and I'm fine. But some people, <laughs> some people, 
Some people get really twisted yeah. when you even suggest a, when you suggest a comma. It's like, what was wrong with my comma? It was like, I can't explain every comma to you. I'm going to be here all day. <laughs> so I'm not mean, but I just am not, you know, holding your hand. Oh, sometimes I will have a question, but when I have a question, it's because I want to learn. You know, it's it's more about okay, why why this instead of this? You know, um, or could I do it this way with a semicolon? Or you know, is it really okay to use an M dash and not another M dash? Could you not use a? Can I use an M dash here and a comma there? <laughs> so it's the stuff like that. When I ask questions, it's because I want to know so I can do it again if it works. Or if it doesn't work, yeah. try to get it out of my get it out of my toolkit, you know, so to speak. Yeah, I think the only but you time can't I explain anything because they get all bent. Yeah, well, also sometimes with some um, some some punctuation corner case punctuation things, it's really hard to figure that shit out. Like, figure get an answer easily because you'll get like bit fifty wrong results. That one thing that actually applies to what you're talking about. Um, so the only time I think of that I actually usually explain corrections is if I see something that's happening systemically. And then I'll explain why I'm making a change, like, all over. Then she brings out a $50 million word, <laughs> and you're like, what the fuck? What does that actually even mean? You're going over to Google. What is a modifier? I, I know what a modifier is. Don't fucking email me. I was being – what's that word? Facetious or sarcastic? sarcastic. I, I, yes, facetious. I was thinking of the F one. Okay, <laughs> what? <laughs> I'll just go be over here to grammar girl. <laughs> hey, grammar. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did do that. Because <laughs> she does have that whole background. And so, yeah, 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 you just have to have to work with her foreign language. <laughs> well, um, I got into it with somebody once about vocative case in um, English, and I mentioned something about you know your your. I mentioned something in the document or something about um, she's not a grammarian, and my eyes rolled right back in my head, and I said, Ex- "Okay, pardon me, you, you know." Well, it's true that English has been, especially American English, has been pretty much distilled down to three cases. A vocative means a direct address. So, therefore, I'm talking about the comma that is being used in dialogue when there's a situation of direct address. In any other language, we would call that evocative case. But if you don't want to call it that, I don't give a fuck. You still need a comma when you're using direct address. So, sometimes that's the kind of bizarre conversations you have when you're editing because (laughs) she didn't like the term I used. She did get a little bit there, didn't she? She just kind of like escalated. Uh, yeah, it, and the I, thing is, uh, well, what else would you call that but vocative case? I mean, what would you call it? It's. I think. I think in English that that people who are linguists prefer that it be called like a direct address comma. But that's what a vocative case is. So I don't understand why it, people get so grammarians versus linguists get so bent out of shape about it, about not referring to English as having a vocative case, because in dialogue we do use direct address. So 
And it does require On Wikipedia, the example is, I don't know, comma, John. John is a vocative expression that indicates the party being addressed is as opposed to the sentence, I don't know John. So that's saying that they don't know who John is. But they say, I don't know, comma, John. They are talking to John. So. But I don't know John. Is a di- John becomes a direct object, right? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So, so um, I do know some stuff. Yes, she does quite a lot. So most things I don't worry about, you know, using grammar terms. But, but you can, if you Google Eng, does English have a vocative case, you're going to see pros and cons against that. And so it's just one of those things is like I refer to that type of comma, the comma used in direct address, as being evocative because that's kind of the shorthand. Is call it evocative rather than um, rather than calling I don't know it a direct they... address comma. But, man, she got her knickers in a knot over that. <laughs> And had to correct me that there isn't a true vocative case in English. And I was like, pardon me. Allow me to be more precise for you. In the instance of direct address <laughs> in dialogue, you must have a comma offsetting the person being addressed. It was just, it was the most ridiculous discussion. I I congratulate you on not, stam- on not um, um, stabbing her. It's a good thing it wasn't in person that this was online because I might have stabbed her. I have precedent for that. When I was in the, I don't know if it was the second or the third grade, some little boy in my class pissed me off and I stabbed him right in the arm with a number two pencil. Very sharp one. <laughs> I've got a scar from a number two pencil in my hand. I honestly don't remember how I got it, but I still have it. It might happen in the yeah, morning. And I was a little smartass at that age, so he um, he starts screaming about how I had given him lead poisoning, and I was like, "You idiot! There's no lead in pencils; they're made of graphite." Um, <laughs> there hasn't been lead in pencils for many, 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 many years. <laughs> so yeah, I thought a little bit. Of, I mean, I I like to think I have better impulse control now, but I, I well, I've never randomly stabbed anybody since. But there is precedent for me just getting fed up and <laughs> sinking the near sharp object into the person next to me. <laughs> I had a friend. My last stabbing incident happened in college. Um, my last, because it wasn't my first, but it was my last. Um, we had this acquaintance that um, she would take food off your plate. And I told her the first time I saw her do that to one of my friends, our friend, our mutual friend, I said, don't, don't ever do that to me. And she didn't take me seriously. So we're out at a, I want to say it was a TGIF. And she reached over and tried to take a chicken finger off my plate. And I stabbed her with my fork. There was blood. <laughs> oh, my God. The waitress who was in the midst of, it was a scrape because I scraped her because she jerked her hand back. So it was like a scratch. It wasn't like a, a puncture. Um, the waitress calmly picks up my plate. She says, oh, honey, there's blood on this. I'll get you a new one. Comes back with more chicken fingers and a new set of silverware for me. And nothing else was said. <laughs> I 
I just don't don't touch my food. No, that's not even cool. Even in my family, that nobody to touch my food. I mean, no, I don't. I don't play that. Mm-mm. But I never saw her reach into anybody's plate again. So she didn't do it in front of me anymore. I guess she was afraid I would go after her again with the fork. <laughs> I can't say I wouldn't have because it was like my limit. Don't touch my food. If you want something off my plate and I don't want it, let me know. You want to try something, let me know. We'll get a fresh spoon and we'll put some on your plate for you. Don't try to take stuff off my plate. It just, it, see me before, and let's just say that it's part of that. Um, I don't mind sharing my food. I don't want your hand in my face, and I don't want your hand in my plate. <laughs> I just, I just don't. Yeah, and I just, I don't like people, I I don't like people taking stuff from me without my permission. I don't care what it is. Um. And it's being very, I mean, people seem like you should make it, like, no big deal. Although, if I've got a giant mound of french fries, I usually don't care if someone reaches over and grabs one. But it depends upon the who. Because, like, my sister knows how far she can push that. Um, but I just I just don't like, I just, it, it, it's very intrusive to me to take anything from somebody else without permission. So, yeah, get your hand off my food. Just, oh, and it makes me mad. But, you know, I also have um, very territorial stuff in my cart, um, or buggy, as they're known in the South. Um, I, if, if something goes in my cart at the store, it is now mine. It belongs to me. Don't touch it. Prefer to self-checkout so no one else is touching my stuff. Because it's my stuff now. It's not yours. <laughs> yeah. Once it once it got into that cart that I disinfected at the door, thank you very much. Um, yes, I did. <laughs> it became my stuff. <laughs> That's right. I cleaned this cart. I put goods in it. They're mine now. I have checked the date on it. If it's fruit and vegetables, I've checked the surface and the firmness and the texture. Thanks to me, it is mine. It is in my cart. Someone, I guess about six or seven months ago, it might have been close to a year. Um, oh, I got <sighs> Sorry, I had to sneeze. Okay, I think that's, I think that's it. Just one. Okay, so I'm at, I think Walmart or something, or it might have been Target, and I was disinfecting my buggy, my cart, and um, this uh, this man um, and this woman were coming in behind me, and um, he, and he said, aren't you being a little ridiculous? And I turned to him and I said, you know, the CDC did a test of uh, a random test of carts. Guess what the most common substance they found um, on these carts was? And he looked at me and I said, feces. And then I walked away. Right. You've never seen somebody move so fast to the disinfectant station as that woman did. Yep. <laughs> You're welcome, lady. The only thing more filthy than a cart is cash, which is why I don't carry cash. I'll yeah. go out of my way I not mean, to have cash in my pocket. And they did find out that most of that is caused by children um, sitting in the little thingy, you know, that they yeah. have whatever. But people, it's not just kids, though, because, like, when they look at the, the 
the sheer number of surfaces in hotel rooms that have feces on them. Um, that's just adults, you know, being adults. Because, like, the biggest, the biggest offenders were, like, the coffee maker, the, the remote control. These are not things kids handle. The remote maybe. Doorknobs, but not the coffee maker. Not the coffee maker. Um, Doorknobs, lights, lamp switches. All of them covered with... with People don't wash their hands. Their hands. It's terrible. It's disgusting. (laughs) First thing I do, when I go to a hotel, I have this little um, packet that I travel with of these Clorox disinfecting wipes. And I go through the hotel, and every service that I might touch gets cleaned. And I do not use hotel coffee makers ever. I, yeah, I don't use the coffee maker. Um, I, I clean my surfaces. I normally br- don't bring my own towels. I know they get washed every day because I work in a hotel. But the first thing I do after I clean all my surfaces is because I, 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 I take my gloved hand and I pull off the uh, the comforter or the duvet on the bed and throw it on the floor. Oh, yeah, the duvet is so gross. Then, so then gross. I take the blanket off the bed. That was on that was under the duvet, and then I asked the front desk for two blankets because they'll bring you clean ones from the laundry. Because most hotels, ninety nine point nine percent of all hotels, um, only wash their duvet covers or on um, their duvets or their comforter or whatever you want to call it, the bedspreads, um, once a quarter. Yeah, it's really horrifying. Even it's really horrifying. Hotels don't, aren't, um, aren't required to wash their um, their bedspreads more than once a quarter. Yeah, I travel with my own sheets if I'm traveling, if I'm not traveling by plane. By plane, I tend to not do this as much because I have a lot more limited space. So in the car, I do take my own sheets, and I usually have my own blanket, and I prefer to travel with my own pillow just because. But if not my own pillow, I definitely take a pillow cover with the sheets so that I can cover the pillow. So that's just... I. You just <laughs> you cannot count on. I also I will say the first thing I do and when also, I go to the hotel. Also, I, I highly recommend yes. a can of Lysol when you travel. Yeah. Uh, the first thing I actually do in a hotel before I take anything inside is do a bed bug check. And if you don't know how to do a bed bug check, I'm not going to get into it, but you should Google it because you need to figure that shit out before you take your stuff in there. And then you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars of trying to get rid of bed bugs. So that's the very first thing I do, actually, is a bed bug check. And if I need to leave the hotel, I go out and can ponder a content decontamination shower. Um, and provided that the mattress checks back okay, I then go through and disinfect the surfaces and get rid of the duvet. Because hotels are gross. Jeep, well, now, I'm just saying. now you're... you're we're 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 saving your life, man. Pack. Go get one of those little packets. If you don't have, can't get a packet of the disinfecting wipes. Put some in a freezer baggie and put them in your bag. And at least take a pillowcase, dude. Your own pillowcase. You can go to the travel section and get all kinds of stuff on little travel sizes. You can get sanitation yes. wipes. You can get Lysol. You can get Freebreeze. You can get a uh, wrinkle releaser for your clothes. All that in travel sizes. I totally recommend it. But you should always sleep under the duvet cover and ask for fresh blankets. Sometimes I get them when I check in. I just ask for two blankets as I'm, as I'm checking in. They yeah. won't bring you, if you ask for linen, 
they will not bring you dirty linen. So always ask for two blankets as you're checking in um, and have them delivered because they won't have been slept on. They'll they'll come straight out of um, the laundry room. Get you clean linens. Hotels are a hotbed of bacteria, so it's just there's tips that can get you through it without. And always take either latex or nitrile gloves with you, you know, because you never know. This is part of traveling. This is what this is what OCD people deal with when they travel. <laughs> Where are the gloves? I can't find them, and I don't want to touch anything in here. <laughs> yeah, but never, ever under any circumstances sleep under a hotel um, bedspread. Just never. And <clears throat> and don't use um, if you're in a hotel that has like the most most hotels have glasses in the bathroom or, or near the sink. If they're not individually wrapped in some fashion, wrapped in some fashion, do not use them. I don't care how clean they look. Because if they look clean, usually housekeeping will leave them in place. Yeah. Real glass can seem, can seem nicer, but it could just be a source of of aerated fecal bacteria. So no. 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 We're saving you. And also, if you're in a hotel where the coffee maker is on the bathroom vanity, don't. Cleaning it, yeah, cleaning it is not sufficient. You just need to not use it. Go have coffee. And also, don't keep your, and also um, don't keep your toothbrush in the bathroom. Mm-mm. I'm just saying. Because fecal matter comes up out of the toilet. I'm just, you know, OCD. It, it, it's a thing. Yeah. And, um, so, yeah. And they, yeah, yeah, and this is what happens when you have people who – have OCD who read articles about this kind of stuff, about any of the studies that are done about this kind of thing. And Dateline used to do these kind of specials all the fucking time and horrify the hell out of all of us. We've never gotten over it. We never, we never forget. And we shouldn't. Look, I don't want my own fecal matter on my toothbrush, much less somebody else's. Okay? That's right. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, Mythbusters did do a show on the um, toothbrush thing. It is not good. They found fecal matter all over their building. Oh, it was terrible. Some things you just don't want to see. Um, yeah, I read those reports about the dirty stuff in the airport, in the airport, and I just wanted to go to the airport in a decontamination suit. <laughs> what? Clean it or just like? <laughs> No, to get through it. I'm like, no wonder people get sick when they travel. It's not the plane, which the plane is bad enough. The the most dirty place on the plane is the seat pocket in front of you. Ugh. Anyway, yeah, definitely. Um, people people apparently put dirty diapers in there. Oh. So uh, ponder ponder that for a second and think about why that is the most dirty. People put their food leftover food in there they've been eating on. So that is a disgusting part of the plane. But the most filthy thing in an airport, the single most filthy thing that they tested, that even in one case they found, I think that what they found you on it was Ebola or something, very briefly survived on the surface. But they definitely found E. coli on it a lot, was those security bins. Because they never get cleaned. (gasps) Um, 
unless somebody is egregiously like vomited in one or something, they don't get clean. They just get used over and over and over again for years, and they're filthy. Uh, uh. I said I. I'm like I don't know how I'm gonna get to the airport ever again without feeling I needed to go in a hazmat suit. <laughs> Have all my things individually wrapped in um in what's those bags that the uh, vacuum sealed bags. Yeah. Yeah, you could apparently, I think uh, people were talking about like that you could actually like go into the, typically in a bathroom, the the, the dirtiest spot actually is things like um, faucet handles, door, the, the door, actually the, the exit doorway because the people who don't wash their hands and all that kind of stuff. So door handles, anything where people are coming in contact with it after they go to the bathroom. And basically they were saying that you'd be better off um, Going into the bathroom and, and, and li- no, going into the bathroom and licking the faucets in a hotel in, a, in in the airport, than touching your face after you handled those security bins. Oh God! I suddenly there is nowhere I need to go on this whole planet where I have to fly. Am, am I the only one? <laughs> I doubt it. No, I feel the same way. I'm like I see a lot of road trips in my future. Uh, you know. God, people, why you got to be so dirty? I mean, people, wash your God. hands. Just wash your hands. And wash your butt. <laughs> that, too. That shouldn't be something you have to say. You shouldn't have to say it that. It should be just a given. <laughs> that you go wash your butt. <laughs> the universe wants you to. It's telling you, go wash your butt. Um, they did a study um, where they kind of were checking like men and women hand washing thing and they basically gave men credit for washing their hands if they just passed their hands under the water and it was something like 70% of men don't yeah that's it was men so rarely wash their hands that they decided to give them credit for it if they pass their hands underwater. Um, and so Look, 70%, asshole, we need to use soap. Yeah, 70% did not wash their hands. With women, women were so much better about washing their hands that they didn't give them credit for just passing their hand in the water. And the proportions were more than inverse. It's still something like 75% of women wash their hands. And in that case, they were making them, making them use soap. So I'm just saying all that shit that's all over everything in public, it's mostly coming from men. So gentlemen, it'd be great if you would wash your hands. Seriously. Seriously. I I broke up with a dude for not washing his hands. Why did you have to handle people's underwear? Oh, like looking through their bags? We have somebody who worked in airport security in the chat room. I'm like, why in the world do you have to handle people's underwear? But I, I'm gathering it's because when you have to search their bags and stuff. Yes, okay, okay. I was like, <laughs> are you doing strip searches in the airport now? My goodness, I think you need more than wet wipes for that. You would need full-on 
gloves and like, perhaps like a glove up to the elbow and maybe a mask and because um, cooties are actually real, yes, and boys do have them. But in, in college, I was dating this guy, and I was um, in his room, and he didn't close the bathroom door all the way when he went to pee, which is fine. You know, we've been dating a while. I wasn't grossed out by the fact that he went to pee. I was grossed out about the fact that he didn't stop by the sink and wash his hands. And I was like, dude, I'm done. Um, I broke up with him the next day, so we just weren't going to work out. <laughs> I wonder if he still wonders why. <laughs> Probably. Probably. I can't. <laughs> I can't have a hygiene issue. It's just, no. And what was bad, he was really into me, and he was really upset. And, like, for weeks afterwards, he kept trying to get me to, you know, just talk to him and, you know, talk about it. And I was like, nope, can't do it. <laughs> it was so It was so natural for him not to wash his hands. I was done. I was like, no, that that wasn't a one-time mistake right there. That was an ingrained habit. Yeah. And the thing is, you could never trust that, right? Because if they wash their hands, you'd always be wondering. You said something, right? And it, they, you'd always be wondering, are they washing their hands because I'm here? Is Are they not washing their hands and I'm not here and therefore everything is filthy? filthy? Do I need to be bringing a UV light over here and checking for right? bodily secretions? I mean... I don't know. This feels sketchy. You would never trust it because either you're a hand washer or you're not. (laughs) Ellie's past work history is freaking me out. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not on board with Ellie's past work history either. Um, so let's go back to prompts before I have to take a decon shower. <laughs> before I take the pot, I'll just take a shower. <laughs> My third of the day. <laughs> okay, prompts. Um, so if you, if I, I, I kind of maybe we could talk about how we did approached it because what we did is we each came up with a series of prompts. And then we mm-hmm. ran them by each other and thought to determine what we agreed on. So if you ever want to try something like a more specific prompt um, with, you know, you and another friend or you and a group of people, that's what we did is we actually will work from the Thursday vignette. The, um, we started with the Thursday vignettes and went, okay, I'm going to look at this picture and I'm going to come up with a one sentence prompt that popped into me for that picture. And, these are different from the Thursday vignettes, which is why we don't post the picture of that part of the picture because it's a completely separate thing. I would just use them for, at least for this couple, first couple rounds of inspiration. Yeah, yeah. reference for like a, a place to start. Um, and I sent Kira three, and she picked the one she liked the best from those three, and that was the um, MCU prompt that we did. And then she sent me three, and um. I was really torn because I really liked several of her prompts, but and I picked the one that I liked the best from hers, and um, that's how we. That was our Stargate prompt. That was where, yeah, that was where we started with the prompts. So um, some prompts we will probably never agree on, and that's the key thing when you're trying to work with a group of people with a prompt is you know you've got to throw a lot out there to get people to. Um, 
find something they agree with, which is usually why you want to try to have your your group coming up with the prompt be a you know a group of two or three, because you're never going to get a group of ten people to agree on something that's inspiring. No, no. I mean, I mean, I think if you get up four or even five, it can be difficult. Yeah. Because then you're going to wind up in a case of instead of having agreement, you're going to have like a majority rules thing where like four, three people agreed and one person disagreed. Um, so if you wanted to, if you this is a, this is more a case of a stretching yourself, like you've not done more specific prompts, is to try to find you know write for them something more specific, and um, this is a way you could approach it if there's nothing that's working for you is look at something else come up with a sentence about it, pick, like in our case, we did three each, and then we waited to see if the other person responded to. So. Also, don't throw a prompt out there that you're not sure you'd actually want to write, because I did throw one out there that I was ambivalent. I was actually not ambivalent. I was like, I don't really care for this. If she had picked that one, I probably would still be trying to figure out what I was going to write. <laughs> yeah, you know, honestly, if you're going to have to fly and you're going to be somewhere long term, um, it's best to just ship your uh, your stuff FedEx. Actually, no, use UPS because UPS is much better for tracking. UPS will tell you where mm. the shit is, you know, like, you know, your driver Dave is down the road and he'll be there in two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> with your dildos, <laughs> you know. But so, yeah, I highly recommend if you're going to be somewhere for a while and you want to carry your toys, that you ship them. Or at least check them because it is a little bit awkward to have your bag searched and there's a whip in it or a paddle or a butt plug. You know, some things just need to be checked. Of course, then... If somebody searches you your luggage, of your and, dildo ending up in China and <laughs> you're well, in Spain. <laughs> or worse is you get, I had this happen to a friend is she got, she went, she went to Inzel international Ms. leather and um, you know, she packed all her sex toys as you do. Cause nobody goes to Inzel without their sex toys. I'm sorry. Um, and several of her dildos were not in her bag when she got there. Wow. So, that's, that's really disturbing, you know, is that somebody went through her bag and left most of her toys. Stole they took her dildo. That's just, ew. You don't steal dildos. No, you don't. No. And don't. really the valuable thing, in there were some of her floggers. Are, some of her floggers are hundreds and hundreds of dollars a piece. And they took, like, Forty a forty dollar dildo, like whatever, man. That's probably some kind of weird kink that I don't want to know about. Using somebody else's dildo. Mm-mm. That's like people who buy panties on Reddit. Ugh. Use panties uh, on Reddit. People are so weird. <laughs> you just never know what's going to get somebody off. Someone who would also want used panties from Reddit. That's what I'm telling you. <laughs> That is not the most disturbing thing I've seen sold. So, there you guys, though. I mean, there is some people who like, you know, 
to wear panties, the same pair of panties all week and then send it to them. Or like they want <laughs> your, they, they want your period panties or mm-hmm. they want your panties That's... that you wear after you've had sex and Yep. Yep, yep, yep. The used menstrual products is the one that kind of freaked me out. I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So this is this is like, you know, what's the rule? You know, there's that there's that porn rule that if if there's a thing, there's porn exists for it. This is sort of like the sales rule if people sell anything. If there's a thing that exists, someone is out there selling it. Yep. And it's a deeply unfortunate thing. Okay. We got sidetracked again. You know, that vending machine reminds me of that thing where there was this Stargate story where somebody found a vending machine on the city and they stocked it with fan fiction. And people had to pay candy bars to get the fan fiction out. Like like they 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 wrote fan fiction and they wrote novels like romance novels and stuff and the payment to get the file was a candy bar. Huh. I had to not read that, but it sounds like an interesting premise. I wonder. I'm pretty sure it was McKay Shepard, um, and I think John might have been the one writing them. Like cliche romances. Like where Rodney was a pirate or something. I mean, <laughs> I think it was all right. Say, it's been a long time since I read it. Obviously, I don't. I don't know all the details, but I remember that part about the vending machine specifically, and it, it got me tickled. Yeah, speaking of, um, it's a little bit of a sidetrack, but speaking of um, sticking something in the machine and getting fan fiction out. Uh, there's some sort of connection between that and what I'm thinking. So we all know, anybody who's been in fandom for a minute knows that the ABO trope originated in the supernatural oh. fandom. Um, there might be some people kind of question, did it really, originally, really originate in supernatural? But it's, I think people who've like researched it have made it pretty clear that that's kind of where it cropped up. What, so, in a cake name, right? Yeah, it, it was, yeah, it was some, it was some, there was some some little kink thing. It, it I don't think the people who kind of originally started it had any idea how that shit would blow up across fandom. But anyway, it's one of my least favorite um, um, fandom popular fandom tropes. But and we've talked about like all the reasons why. Well, as any kind of trope that blows up in fandom is eventually going to make its way to original fiction, and it did. It, it made its way to original fiction quite a while ago. Um, and then out of the blue, someone recently sent somebody a bunch of takedown notices saying that they had invented the ABO-verse and are trying to claim some kind of domain, um, intellectual or imminent domain, intellectual property rights around that trope. The idea. Um, yeah. Which, of course, it's problematic on many fronts because, as we've discussed um, at a lot, you can't own an idea. When a trope is an idea, so you can't own it. Um, your expression of the trope is something you can copyright, but the idea itself you cannot. But it, considering how there is ample proof 
of where, how long this trope has been around and where it came from and its origins. And I just, I'm probably more amused by this than I should be because writers in, um, especially in certain genres, have lost their minds in the last couple of years in terms of trying to copyright and trademark shit. And apparently this isn't the first time someone's tried to um, trade, uh, try to put a copyright something on something that originated out of fandom, um, thinking you know that fandom can't do anything about it. But the thing is, what fandom can do is fandom has establishes history. AO3, all these archives, they are historical evidence of how long such a thing has existed. And so it becomes very difficult for someone to try to claim any kind of intellectual property on something that there is 10, 12, 14, 15, 20 years of Internet history showing that it existed somewhere else first. So um, what's interesting, I think though, is what... it made it all the way to court. There was a court case, but the case was dismissed. Um, yes. But somebody had to explain ABO to that judge. I mean, And that's hilarious. That is hilarious. Okay. <laughs> That's funny as fuck. When I thought about that, that that made it to court, I was like, somebody had to explain ABO to this this judge. And when you think about the demographics of your typical judge, I find that particularly funny. <laughs> some, old, some old straight white guy got a thorough education on male pregnancy and self-lubricating asses. <laughs> yes. And so I'm reading this, and people are so indignant, right? And I just can't stop laughing because of all the tropes in fandom to have made it yes, into your a honor. courtroom. A self-lubricating anus. But the why? Omega has a self-lubricating anus. Um, I... um. You cannot, repeat this, you cannot copyright an idea. You can sit down right now and write a book about a little boy who goes to magical school and J.K. Rowling could do nothing about it because you cannot copyright an idea. She wasn't even the first person to send a little boy to magical school. She isn't even the first person to make a male character named Harry a wizard. Nope, because Harry Dresden nope, came not Harry Dresden. before Harry Potter came along. Um, you cannot copyright and an idea. Had, now, and Harry, Harry Potter had the trademark. That's different. It's the about name, the character yeah. as a merchandise in the movies, and that's very different than. Um, oh God, there's a website. But the funny thing is, when you think about it, there's an interest, another interesting parallel between the Harrys and the troubling, the trouble they had with magic and technology. Yeah, there was a show called The Worst Witch. Um, but the thing is, is you, you literally cannot copyright an idea. Um, and these tropes get used over and over and over again. And um, it isn't about the tropes themselves. It's about how you use them and what you use them with and the words you used to use. Mm-hmm. It's your expression of an idea. It's not the idea itself. And I think there are a lot of young authors out there 
um, that are coming into publishing, or maybe I should say new because not all of them are young, um, who have some interesting and, and unreasonable expectations of what is going to happen, um, and especially those who think that they can take ideas from fandom because technically fandom can't make money on itself, and then they can go and make – and they can they can go and they can make money on tropes that were invented in fandom. They absolutely can do that because it's a trope. It is not an expression. It's not copyrightable material. And also, yes, it's you know, fandom people. This makes me want to write an original megaverse. I mean, just because. Just because. <laughs> just out of spite. <laughs> um. But the thing is, the author who got given, and the interesting thing is, and also it's not just the um, authors who are a little bit clueless. It's like the, one of the people who was getting, who got a DMCA takedown notice for infringing on this other person's supposed copyright, which, again, I remember you rolling their eyes because you can't copyright an idea. Um her readers went to this author and left about, they talked about things like about how fresh and original, you know, the, this other author who had written the, the Omega verse stories were and how this other author just seemed derivative and it felt like it wasn't fresh or interesting. And all you can do is laugh at that because anybody who's writing Omega verse and original fiction is derivative. Right. Of thousands of thousands modern, of stories. Modern fiction is derivative. Um, yeah, it all is. Zoe ends her um, essay with, My Myth of Omega series will continue as scheduled, and I'll be working, as always, on bringing readers more fantastical romances, many of which will continue to draw upon the established tropes of the Omegaverse, which are owned by no one. Right, because you can't own an idea. So, um, it, and so people do, they get kind of really worried about, you know, ideas and tropes where they've found inspiration in somebody else's idea or whatever. And is it okay for them to use that and to, to draw inspiration from? And the answer is that's pretty much how the world works. We're all deriving inspiration from things other people have done. And yes, we derive inspiration from other things, but most writers have been inspired by things they've read from other writers. You know, plagiarism is is about feeling somebody else's expression of an idea, not the idea itself. So when it comes to being inspired and looking for sources of inspiration, it is perfectly reasonable to be inspired by somebody else's work. But, you know, if if people can't if people can't understand the distinction between using the same basic idea for a story as somebody else and using their exact words, if they can't understand the distinction between those two things, they have no business writing. Maybe that's, maybe that's a harsh line to draw, but I don't think it's actually that um, fine a distinction. So you're too dangerous to, 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 <laughs> to be writing if you can't tell the difference between plagiarism and being inspired by something. Like that asshole who accused Nora Roberts of plagiarizing because they had the same words in their title. Yeah, she accused Nora Roberts of plagiarizing her title, 
when Nora Roberts' book was in production a full year before her book came out. Okay. Worse, they're at the same publisher. I actually had that book on my list to read. I removed it. Which one? The Bones book. Um, oh, oh, the 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 author who'd accused. Yeah. Yeah. Blood and Bone. Um. See, one book is called Of Blood and Bone. And the other one was called, let's see, Nora's was called Of Blood and Bone, and the YA book was called Children of Blood and Bone. And I actually had Children of Blood and Bone on my um, wish list to read. I took it off because I can't read an idiot's work. And um, so, you know, she's dumb. And even even if you could, you know, she's, she's, if you, even if you tried to kind of like cut her some slack for being a new author, um, and all that kind she of stuff. Down on Twitter. She did double and then down. Didn't apologize. And she didn't try to rein in her fans who were yeah. harassing the hell out yeah. of Nora Roberts. And that's when Nora Roberts kind of lost her cool because she usually doesn't engage in that kind of stuff. And she lost her. She, well, she she just she just delivered an utter smackdown in a blog post about it. And yeah. Um, and rightly so, because she'd been putting up with a lot of crap at that point. And the author who had made the accusation could have stopped all of that in its tracks the moment it was pointed out to her that she was wrong. And instead, first she doubled down, and then she apologized basically privately and didn't try to call off the dogs, basically, that she had unleashed. Um, and it's just, it's just just some people you don't go to war with, you know? And Nora Roberts is one of them. It's just not a good idea. Yeah. It's just um, what she said in her open letter recently is that um, she's going to um, war over these plagiarism uh, farms on Amazon um, because she does have the ability to do so. It's kind of like you don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Pecan pie in a vending machine. That's a whole pie in that vending machine. That is that is fantastic. You can buy a whole pie in the vending. What? I'm just what saying. It's a, it's a whole pie. It's a whole pie. It is a whole pie. I need to have yeah. a vending machine like that. I know. I got I got totally distracted. Um, but yeah, you just don't bring a. a a knife to a gunfight. And when you're having a fight, if you're trying to pick a fight with an author, um, which I don't recommend, but I most certainly don't recommend that you do it with someone who's as prolific as, say, like Nora Roberts or Stephen King, because they will bury you. I imagine a little window like lifts up and you can just pull it out. I don't think it drops. It's more like one of those things where you kind of push the window aside, like a sandwich thing. 
Yeah, but even if it dropped, you know, I mean, what's a little broken pie for us when you got instant pie? Right. I, I I'd be down. I don't care if there's a little bit of crumbs. It's 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 pie on demand. I'm not mad at that. I want a pie vending machine. Or maybe I don't. My blood sugar probably doesn't want it. What's in the bag? Maybe it's a single slice of pie? It's a little hard to see. It's like candied pecans. Oh my god. That's just evil. It's a pecan vending machine. It's got like chocolate covered pecans. This is the most evil, amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. Where is that? I want to visit this place. I want to move to this place. The Birdall Pecan Candy and Gift Company. It's their vending machine. And it's in Cedar Creek, Texas. If you find yourself driving down Highway 71 through Texas, which I won't, um, you're probably going to want to keep an eye on the directing you toward the giant squirrel statue holding a pecan because next to this peculiar roadside statue is something that should not be missed, a vending machine stocked with full-size homemade pecan pies. I am. Mm. That should not be missed. Really jealous. utter, utterly bizarre reason I am driving in Texas, I am going to go to that squirrel statue and find that vending machine, and I'm going to get me a pie. Yes. Yes. We expect pictures of the giant squirrel I, and the pie. I, re- I really cannot conceive of why I would ever be driving around in Texas, but stranger things have happened in my life and possibly even recently. So I don't I'm sure her publisher and her editor did come down on her, but the damage was already done. By the way, her publisher is also Nora Roberts' publisher, so I I can't imagine that she'll ever yeah, who do you get think another they're contact side with that publisher. Exactly. But we see that on a fairly regular basis these days is new authors kind of, I don't know, practically ruining their career, being ding-dongs. Um, and that's a polite term. Because they have a really bizarre expectation coming in um, into the publishing world of what what it's going to be like, and they they think that they're going to own. I don't actually. I wonder do these people not read? Do they not read? I mean, I would I would really want to know. Did they did, have they never been exposed to any of the tropes they're using? I don't know. It's just very odd. I don't. I don't get it. it. I don't get the whole thing where people like that whole cocky thing. Um, Are you serious? I. It's just. It's. It's stunning. It really is. And what's more is that um, it's um, 
attacking other authors will come back to bite you really, really hard. That's your tribe. Yeah. That's why plagiarism is so offensive to me. That's a member of my tribe stealing from me. Fucking around with my intellectual property. That, that That's my tribe. That That's not some stranger. That's, well, yeah, it, you know what I mean? It's, it's like... I would not turn down a French fry machine either. I mean, you know, I could never be in a place where they had real food and vending like this. It would be terrible. Yeah, I'm starving right now. I could eat the the better part of a cow. But um, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's just we're supposed to be taking care of each other and supporting each other in in this whole thing, and um, if you're so busy trying to attack others, you should be for you should be for you should be you know focusing that energy that you got on attacking somebody on your own writing. Yeah. And if the only way you can be successful as an author is to make false accusations against somebody else, then you're not successful as an author. That's just... You're not even successful as a human. Because the article about the, the blog post that, of the person who was initially attacked or targeted on this Omega stuff, um, because they used the DMCA takedown notices improperly, for some period of time, they affected her livelihood. Because retailers like Barnes and Noble and Amazon and and Kobo, they they take your stuff down when they get one of those until you can refute it. And in the meantime, you're losing sales rank. You're, I mean, there have been authors. I can't remember which author it was. There was an author who writes MM, who debuted. I think her book debuted in like third a third bestseller on the day on the day it was released she was third third bestseller, and somebody filed a false DMCA takedown notice to Amazon, and got her book pulled and she was able to correct it in about forty eight hours prove that the DMCA was false, and that and Amazon restored her book but she never recovered sales rank and her, that book performed abysmally for for her. And she talked about it in a in a writing group on um, on um, on Facebook. Sorry, I was struggling with that with the word Facebook. I just wouldn't <laughs> come out of my mouth. Um, and that's just such ugly behavior to to try to bolster your own livelihood by ruining somebody else's by making false accusations by using the system in a way it wasn't intended by lying basically and, and some of that actually so could ugly. be more just revenge like that the person okay. didn't like her so just decided right, right, to fuck with her yeah and people do that they do file false claims they do stuff to fuck with people and it is just butt ugly ass behavior and I 
I'm usually really careful about like not publicly shaming people, but when I hear stuff like that, I'm really like all in for the public shaming because it's the only way people like that stop. It is the only way with people like that. And then they put up these terrible, tragic videos on YouTube about how everybody hates them, and we're all sitting there going, yep, we do. We all hate you. Yeah, because you're an asshole. I don't believe your crocodile tears for a second. But it's just it's it seems like every time we turn I know that there are some people who are very like they're super frustrated with all of the drama that's going on and they think it's in just one it's just in their genre but it's not it's not in just it's almost all the romance romance is where the money is in in publishing most of not 80% sales, of it yeah it's a huge percentage some huge huge percentage of books and some fashion hit the romance are somewhere in the romance, one of the romance genres. So, um, it, it, and so it's people, it's not just male, male, it's male, female, it's female, female. This kind of stuff is happening in all of the subgenres across. So people think it's just their genre that's acting, their community is acting up. It's not, it's all of them. And it's people who are, and it, a lot of it, I don't want to blame this on on self-publishing, but there is a there is a connection to be to be drawn, but with some of this because it isn't publishers for the most part who are doing this. Now, sometimes publishers are getting on board with it, and it's usually small publishers. You don't see big publishers issuing false DMCA takedown notices. It's just that's just crazy cakes. Um, no, because they got a lawyer saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa." Yeah, we don't want to do that. Are you crazy, no, dog? <laughs> but it, it is is it is not only is it a ton of money, but it's also fiercely competitive and a heavily saturated market, and people are resorting to being. And apparently, it's saturated by um, ghost writers and plagiarism farms. Yeah, that too. And if you're buying um, a book, a book. A completed book from a ghostwriter for fifty or seventy-five or a hundred dollars. You, you can't tell me you didn't know that that was not something that somebody wrote originally. <laughs> you you can't honestly believe that some ghostwriter wrote you a novel for seventy-five bucks. That and didn't sell it to somebody else first. Yeah, that is pieced together from paragraph libraries. So, um, a car vending machine. Um, anyway, the thing is, is that people aren't sure how to make it in as a writer anymore. And the thing is, most people never will. And they're resorting to really horrible tactics to try to get themselves ahead. But it never works. It always ultimately backfires on you because nothing stays secret. That's one thing we know from all of these scandals is someone figures it out. Someone connects all the dots. Someone puts it all on Twitter. And then you've lost your career. So don't do it. It's just not worth it. And it makes you an ugly human being. So you made a, you might have made a couple hundred extra dollars for, for a very for a micro speck of time, but then you ruined your career and you're not going to be able to be a writer. And these some of these writers then go on and try to reinvent themselves. And these people who track this stuff 
they figure that out too. They figure out what name you're publishing under the next time because people don't like over and over and over that way. Yeah. And it is, it becomes a, like a vengeful thing, right? It's like, look what you did to us. We are going to haunt you forever for this ugly thing you did and make sure you're exposed over and over and over. Anyway, that's a little tangent on to um, how difficult the publishing market is and how badly people behave. And um, We have, like, weird vending machine porn going on in the chat room. And very weird. Very weird. I... Um, it's really hard. I sometimes you see writers who have taken this whole this whole drama situation, and you can see it stress them out to the point where they can't even write. That they've invested themselves in communities, or they've invested themselves in other writers, only to find out that writer's been catfishing their audience for a year or two, and is using their readers as um, fodder for their for their work. Um, you're a real asshole, dude. Uh, but uh, it's it it can fuck up your productivity, and it can and it can lower your creativity as well. And what I would also notice lately is since I have been limiting myself to about ten minutes of Facebook time a day. Um, today I went over. I saw a post on Sesame Street stamps. I was done. I closed it. Came back to MeWe, and everything was great. And <laughs> Done because I all that negativity and all that stress it, it really lowers your ability to be productive. And if you're constantly bombarded with with stories like this asshole who catfished his his readership for a very long time, um, and who used his readers to to, to and told their life stories as fiction, or you have. Um, people suing each other over the use of the word cocky or you have people, you know, ghostwriting, plagiarism farms. I, it just, it, it blows my mind. And, and if you're exposed to that, that's all you're exposed to over and over and over and over again. It's no wonder that your productivity is in the basement. So I, I think it's very important to create writing spaces um, where, you just have an opportunity to create. Cord has been um, kind of a a big movement for us as a writing yeah, community. It's been, it's been really good. I really like Discord. I feel kind of sheepish that I didn't get there sooner. <laughs> right? I was like, I I, I feel like I'm kind of a little silly ass for like like no, I don't think so. Because I was actually recommended Discord like last year, and I was like, no, nope. you know, really. I'm looking forward to Discord and RT meeting. I um, we're we're gonna have our first rough trade with with Discord in place, and I'm looking forward to seeing what you guys do with that. It'll be really interesting to yeah. see how just right, just right, and rough trade um, blend together during that time because the sprinting is just um, really, really beneficial. 
Um, and you see people in sprinting, like our word count for April is 30,000 for the whole month. Well, that's 1,000 words a day. And we see people in sprints doing two or three sprints and getting that word count on the regular. Yeah. I mean, if I said sprint, the other day I was in doing sprints, and I didn't think I had been going all that long, and I added up my sprints for the day, and I had almost 10,000 words. And I went, oh. That's crazy, right? And, my, yeah, my best I sprint be, day I was um, like 13,000, and I don't remember which day it was. It was like I – but I was on there most of the day, off and on. Yeah, so. my my best sprint day was, was I think, the day we launched. Um, there was one day I got close to 17,000 words, but I was on all day long. Um, but I'd never hit that kind of word count before without doing the sprints. But the thing is, if I don't, like, pace myself and, like, find other projects to work on throughout April, I'm going to be done with April in three days. <laughs> right. It's not a good idea. I will. So, so Yeah. You got, you got to pace yourself. I mean, if you're a fast typist and you've been practicing with the sprints and you've gotten used to being able to, I type 100 words per minute. So when I get over the micro editing, I can do a sustained type for a sprint of averaging 50 words a minute, which is close to in a good sprint for me. My best sprint is almost 1,300 words in 20 minutes. So a 1,000 words is not an unreasonable average for me in a 20-minute in a sprint. And so if I do three hours of sprinting and I manage to have good productivity in those six sprints, that's 6,000 words. Well, I don't need that much to get through rough trade. So <laughs> the practice is really good. Because I had the, the practice spreadsheet. Yeah, me too. I ha- my, the practice is good for me. Um, it's been good for me to kind of, get used to it before rough trade came around. But now I'm kind of realizing that I'm going to have to rein myself in. And like when I get to a certain word count or I get a chapter done for rough trade, if I'm still wanting to write, then I have to have another project on deck to work on, or I will be done very quickly. And I know people won't care, but I will because the time that one July that I finished the whole challenge in 10 days, I was miserable. I was so unhappy. <laughs> I did not like my best being out of the challenge. 1421. Wow. I, I know you're a very fast typist too. So when you really let go and especially if you're in dialogue, you can just let it rip. Boom. And I was, and I can... was in dialogue. Um, so yeah, I think our next sentence prompt is going to be about Tony. Dinozo. I think we'll do one. Tony Dinozo. Yeah. What do you think? We need, we, need to, we need to do a Tony D one, yeah. Um, but uh, I dig it. That's I, my I'm current. Um, but what I would also say about April is that we don't have a maximum word count in April. We only have a minimum. Um. I think I'll probably run into more problems over the summer when we have our maximum word count of 15K. Um, but we are splitting the months in July where we have two definite periods to work on the stories this time. Instead of allowing you to work on the stories as you want to over the month, you have to do one story during the first two weeks and then the second story during the second two weeks. So, and yeah, yeah that's a break. Help with, yeah, and you kind could, because you could, right? Write yourself out of each 
It says considering the word count, what's the minimum? Ten thousand or is it fifteen? It's it's ten to fifteen. Ten. Yeah. So you could you could you could be done on a productive day. You could be finished in one day, but um, I would I'd try to space pace it a little bit better than that <laughs> because for me, part of what I like about rough trade is participating in yeah, the challenge with other people. Only, and when you there's only one mothership. There is only one mothership. That's Tony Denozo, Steve McGarrett. But I do have, you know, like an aircraft carrier or something that I'm really digging, <laughs> which is my, my second favorite pairing has become Tony Squared. So um, the problem <laughs> with that is always the Tony issue. But I will sort that shit out. But yeah, you could, so just if, if for those of you who have gotten really used to being, and I'm seeing people giving their daily work, their word count and saying that, you know, they're, they're getting five, six, 7,000 words written or more when they sit down to do an afternoon of sprints and you could write yourself right out of the challenge very quickly. And that may be, that may, have, that may be fine. Maybe what you want to do, um, but just figure out what you want to do in advance. And if you don't, want to write yourself out of the challenge very quickly, um, have another project on deck, have some prompts lined up that you want to work on, have something ready so that when you hit your goal for the day, whatever goal you set for yourself, that you have something else to work on if you still want to write. Yeah, I agree. It's probably a good idea. And of course, it's always the prompts to use as a palate cleanser, which is how I use them, basically. I use them as a palate cleanser to kind of get my, just kind of reset myself, you know, because mm-hmm. writing, um, writing shorts and writing, having something that's complete and that you can that you can be proud of and you can put up and it's actually very good for your um, personal morale to have completed projects, even short stories. They it's just really helpful. That kind of productivity breeds productivity. Yes, I agree. Because I I was a little stalled yes, out. Yes, as um, long as you persevere, Ellie. Yes, in the face of naked people. Um, I was a little stalled out in November at one point. Um, I don't know that it was observable to anybody else. And I went and did a prompt, and uh, it really helped me to finish that. I was a little punchy at the time. Um, that's when I did Perishable. And um, and I just watched Deadpool 2 again. So, um and then I went back to writing Century, and I was like, okay, I'm back in the groove now. And sometimes it's actually not uncommon for me to be working on other projects during Nano, but in that instance, I really needed something that I was going to finish because I felt like I hadn't really finished a story in a while, and I think just stopping and doing that one short really helped me feel like I was just not um, adding yet another thing to the pile of works that needed to be edited. Right? Yeah. But yeah, I think the specific prompts are actually really, um, really interesting, and it's a really interesting thought exercise. But the prompts in general, um, I use for kind of a palate cleanser to kind of get my my headspace reset, and it's um, it's good. It's good. So, um, yeah. I don't have a wait. Do I have a Sunday prompt? I don't think I do. I have not picked one up. Let's see. Oh, actually, yes, I, I do. You, I do I have a Sunday have prompt. One. I have four. I have four. I have four that are currently pending. Um, 
because I backed him up and did this Kirk Spock one as um, because it was requested. Um, but I do have some more general prompts coming for Discord Sunday for Sunday prompts on on Discord. So I've got four of those lined up, and um, the next one's really pretty and all fantasy and stuff. It'd be really interesting. And of course, the, the vignette went up this morning. Um, in the early a.m. because I was up and I just put it up early and I derailed somebody in their sprint. Sorry. But she persevered. Yeah, the sex bomb. Yeah, there was some, there was a, because Lady Holder, if she had any ideas, for things to use on the Thursday vignette because I really wasn't interested in posting the one that I had currently ready because um, it's kind of depressing. And she she offered and um, she suggested sex. And, of course, of course, I was like, yes. And so <laughs> I went and found some sexy pictures. And while I do prefer men, that girl's ass is bomb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she, boom. There ain't nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, her ass is on point. <laughs> so, of course, I had to include it. Yeah. So... I'm here to inspire you. That girl's, she's working that. (laughs) Yeah, there ain't nothing wrong with that. It's supposed to be inspiring. Assume waxed or or shaved. I mean, you know, from a distance, it's hard to tell. Um, yeah, but his manscaping is on point as well. Yeah, so I appreciate a good manscaping. Yes, it's very considerate. I don't need a jungle in your pants, and I don't want a jungle in your pants. <laughs> If I make it tidy, you can make it tidy. Right? See? It's an equal opportunity prompt. Now I have to look at it again. Well, the waist is a little... The hip spread, it's kind of hard to think of that and see a boy. But, yeah, you could. You could. I mean... Nice ass Yeah, Yeah, I mean... I, I, the position actually makes it a little bit a little bit possible. I think that that could be someone with a particularly luscious butt, plump ass, um, yeah, male. But it, it, it certainly my mind immediately goes to that's a, a woman's butt. Yeah, most men don't have that much junk in the trunk. I as 
for fuck's sake, we only got two and a half minutes left of the podcast. <laughs> Are you okay over there? Jilly, you broke the jilly. <laughs> you should always say no to Wookie Nookie. Always. Just just to, always just to be safe. Because a Wookie can rip you limb from limb. That's something to keep in mind. That is not a partner you'd want to disappoint. And, you know, there's just way too much, I, there's just way too much potential for hair getting caught in your teeth. And that's just a, that's just a deeply unpleasant experience. Everywhere. Everywhere. You're going to get it everywhere. I had a friend who had, her lover was, had very long hair. And one day she woke up. Somehow, I guess the hair had gotten like, you know, it was like very long, like a two foot long piece of hair had gotten tangled up in her genital jewelry. And when she was moving during the night, it just started getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And she moved just wrong. And all of a sudden it was like, she felt like it was just all being ripped. And she's like, <gasps> she woke up almost screaming. Um, <laughs> because she Which wasn't a good idea in her position. No, it, no, it wasn't. So, yeah, they had to. It had just gotten all. The more she moved, the more it got tangled. Because hair is insidious. It, it, it doesn't behave. You know, you have this perfectly nice, long, soft piece of hair, right? That somehow manages to get wedged into your sofa. How does that happen? And yet it does. Happen <laughs> I don't know. One of us. We, but we have. We have ten seconds. You guys have a great evening, and we'll catch you guys tomorrow. Say good night. Bye. Bye bye. Thank you.